following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right, guys, let's open our Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Romans today. Romans chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Um, I, I, I introduced a book to you a couple weeks ago. It sold out within moments. Um, this book here, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. Get your hands on this. If you're a historian, you want to understand why we've arrived at the cultural moment we're in today, not just in America, but in all the Western world. This book does the best job of accumulating history and poetry and literature and politics and showing you that this discussion we're having in our world today is has been centuries in the making. And this would be a good book. Well, I think we have 10 of those or nine copies of those available. Um, so they're in the bookstore. Make sure you grab them. That, that will really benefit your soul. So over the last few weeks, we've been in 1 Corinthians 10 as an ongoing part of our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And chapter 10 is really a culmination of, of Paul's discussion that began in chapter 8. In chapter 8, Paul started this discussion with a question. And the question really is, was it appropriate or right for a Christian to eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol? And so in chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gave instructions about this because the Christians in that church in Corinth were actually fighting over that issue. They were having a battle with it. Now, to understand the background of the early church is really helpful because we can fantasize about the early church. I've heard more people than not say, man, I just wish we could go back to the early church and the, the infant church. It was so mature and so godly. Well, what we don't realize is that's the reason why the New Testament was written is because they weren't necessarily mature and godly and they needed some instruction from the apostles. And what you had in that early church was you had two groups of people that came underneath the same building, if you will, or same place that really hated each other for centuries with different backgrounds, different cultures, different beliefs, and all being informed by the apostles that once they believe in Jesus, they're now to hang out with each other and they're to prefer one another in love and serve each other in love and care for one another in love and all because they're in one new family. So you had the Jews who lived according to a very strict moral code They had a moral lifestyle. You had the Greeks and Romans who lived by strict obedience to their pleasures. And you then combined them into a church underneath the banner of Christ, and you're basically telling them, now you need to learn how to love each other. And so the question really rose in the early church is, how do they love each other and live together in harmony when they have such differences of opinions on a variety of issues? And what we've seen in 1 Corinthians 8-10 through is Paul taking this idea of Christian liberties. Christian liberties are like areas that God's Word is not clear about. God's Word do not, does not strictly forbid. And then talking about how do we interact with one another over these type of issues. And here's what we've seen. This will come up on the screen for you. In chapter 8, verse 6, he said that the most important thing for us to believe and know in the church is that there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom all things exist and we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. In other words, Paul would say, God is way more important to us than our opinions or our liberties. But then in chapter 9, verse 23, Paul gave a personal example where he said that he would do all things for the sake of the gospel. 
informing us that the gospel matters more than our opinions or our liberties. And in chapter 10, we saw the, the, the conversation continue. We saw that all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Meaning that we, we can do a lot of things, but if it doesn't benefit other people, it's off limits. Paul telling us other people matter more than our opinions or our liberties. And then finally, we notice in chapter 10, verse 31, that God has called us to a really high calling as Christians. That whatever we do, even the mundane things like eating or drinking, we're to do for the glory of God, meaning God's glory matters more than our liberties or our opinions. So when it comes to all areas of Christian liberty or Christian convictions, we've seen some amazing truths in 1 Corinthians 8-10. through 10. And here's what we've seen. This will come up on the screen for you as well if you want to take a picture or write it down. God's glory and the good of others, especially Christian brothers and sisters, matters more than our liberties or our convictions. God's glory and the good of others, especially Christian brothers and sisters, matters more than our liberties or our convictions. Now again, just to make clear, these are areas, these these areas Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians 8-10, through 10, as well as areas in Romans 14 and 15, which we're going to talk about this morning, are, are areas that are not explicitly clear in God's Word, nor are they explicitly forbidden in God's Word. These aren't the Ten Commandments. So while in our, in our culture, our issues aren't eating meat or celebrating certain religious holidays, we most certainly have very similar challenges. So take our church just as an example. And these are all examples from our church, from conversations I have with people. We have city folk. We have country folk. We have Russians. We have Filipinos. We have Americans. We have Hispanics. We have Asians. And we have Caucasian. We are about as multi-ethnic as Roseburg could possibly be. Okay? We have some who grew up in churches with strict moral codes and some who grew up in very in lawless situations or in even abusive homes or lifestyles. We have some here that went to public school, some went to homeschool, and some went to private school. We have those who believe that drinking alcohol at any point is a sin. We have those who have a glass of wine every night for dinner. Same with those who smoke pipes and cigars. Some even own smoking jackets. I know I saw Wade's face. The rest of you are like, oh, really? Okay. We have those who are very strict about their diets. No fatty foods, no caffeine, no sugar. And those who, like me, who have a seafood diet, whatever you see is on your diet. Okay? And then we have educa- you know, entertainment choices. We have some who literally believe that if you own a TV subscription, you're inviting the Antichrist into your home. And those who seem to be attracted to and attached to any new sitcom available. That's not even including then the entertainment choices of our children. Some are okay with Fortnite, Call of Duty, and the like while others see anything beyond a board game as the mark of the beast. Okay, that was a joke. You can lie. It's okay. Loosen up a little bit. Okay? It's okay. Just relax. Okay, everybody just kind of, you know, this is a fun discussion, okay? Then what about issues of dress? How tight is too tight? How short is too short? And what exactly is modesty? What about jewelry for ladies or for men? What about makeup on either, Right? What about yoga pants, right? And my favorite one is, dudes, if you're wearing skinny jeans, we have an issue that we got to talk about, especially their salmon-colored skinny jeans. We, we got to, 
we got to talk. I mean, we're going to do a masculinity discussion on wearing husky jeans. Okay, right? So, right, I mean, what about those kind of things? And can we please, can we please, for the love of Jesus and the rest of all of us, can we please not talk about politics? And what about vaccines? What about medical desires? See, in the New Testament church, like ours, there seems to be quite the debate and disagreement on all sorts of areas where God's word is not explicitly clear. And here's what was happening. Christian love was being lost in the pursuit of liberty and in the demonstration and declaration of the law. And when we fight over these issues, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We're not representing Jesus very well. We have a world, you don't have to look very far to see that this world thrives on division, chaos, and is it, it needs the peace that only Jesus Christ can provide. So my question to myself has been, over the last year in particular, how are we representing to the world the unique power of Christ that takes non-essentials and makes them non-essential? And makes Jesus be solely essential. That's the question that Paul is talking about. Love must win the day because Christ has won our hearts. Love must win the day because Christ has won our hearts. So the question really is, how do we not divide our church over these issues? So this morning we're going to jump out of 1 Corinthians. We're going to go to Romans 14 because Romans 14 and 15 are the best practical, the the most practical teaching on this subject in the Bible. And what's great is the Bible actually talks about it. The Bible talks about how we can have very challenging, awkward, weird, strange conversations about non-essentials and walk out of there and still have a cup of coffee together. So let's stand together. We're going to read Romans 14 verses 1 through 12 together. This will come up on the screen if you don't have have your Bible. I'll read it. You just follow along as I read it here. This is the reading of God's Word. It is inspired. It is God-breathed, and God works through His Word. Don't we believe that, church? Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I the Lord, as I live, says the Lord, 
Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to him, of himself to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we live in such a world of division and chaos that, <clears throat> that the way the world does business is very easily adopted in the church. And I pray this morning for us. I, I pray that as we hear your word and as we respond to your word, that we would respond with an attitude of submission and joy before you, knowing that our opinions and our liberties and our convictions are secondary to your glory and the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, for the evidence of your grace in our midst because you have been so kind. But help us to maintain the spirit of, the, of unity and the bond of peace in this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, if you're new with us, you should have got an outline when you walked in the door. Um, and that'll, that'll kind of lead you through the sermon here. So look at, let's look at the first point on your outline, which is, which is welcome one another. <clears throat> with all the issues brewing in this church in Rome and potential trouble for disagreements, notice Paul's command in verse 1, that the, weak, the strong are to welcome the weak. Now the issue Paul is addressing is the division and the fights going on in this early church over matters of conscience, similar to Corinth and, and to some degree similar to us. The, the challenges are different in Rome, were different in Rome, they're different in Corinth, but the principles are the same. Those who felt more free to live a certain way were casting stones and accusations at those who didn't feel as free and vice versa. They were having a war across the aisles. Now let's just get some terminology down from this text because it has stirred some question among people. By weak in this text, Paul is not talking about someone who is who, who someone being weak as in a lesser than Christian or a foolish Christian or a weakling or a pansy. Those would be all terms that maybe we would throw into this. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a person who has a rule for everything in life, who always sees a stop sign, and then who criticizes people who don't see it the same way. They're not weak as far as saving faith because they're indeed a child of God. They're weak in terms of how their faith grants them the freedom to live out their conduct. In the early church, it was normally people who were tempted by their previous lifestyles. So an example would be, you know, somebody who didn't eat meat, sacrificed idols because they were formerly idol worshipers. So you can imagine why would somebody knowing that feed a former idol worshiper the meat sacrificed to the former idol that they don't want to be worshiping anymore. Or even in the text, you'll see this in Romans 14 later, some did not drink alcohol because they were previously alcoholics. The weak were generally those who abstained. And I say generally because there's some different levels of, of abstainers. By the strong person, Paul is not saying that they are the super spiritual, you know, like the elite spiritual forces of the Christian faith, nor do they have it all together. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, Romans 8, 14 and 15, Paul is actually rebuking those who consider themselves strong for their, their lack of consideration of those who don't have the same opinions. Rather, he's saying they are strong in terms of how their faith grants them freedom in their conduct with regard to areas that God's word does not forbid. 
But here's the point. We got to get this really clear. The point of Romans 14 and 15 and the point of 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is not for us to sit around and look around the room and go, you know, I think that guy over there is weak. Or I'm the strong one. Or I think Pastor Dave thinks I'm the weak one. Or I think Paul's calling me the strong one. That's not the point of the text. The point of the text is this. How do we get along with each other in the church when we all have various convictions? How do we get along in the church when these are all areas that are potentials for division and fights? Now, if you're new with us, I say this statement often. My church that's been here will know very clearly how often I say it. We are always one Sunday away from what? A church split. Always. These are the rubber meet the road areas. Romans 14 and 15, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 are all about how do you keep your church from splitting? How do you remain unified under the body of Christ when you have radically different opinions on a hundred different things? Maybe a thousand different things. See, those who are freer in our lifestyles, we have a tendency to take our, our convictions about our freedoms and look down our self-righteous noses at those who abstain. Those who abstain have a tendency to look with condemnation or assuming always that liberty always leads to lawlessness. And if we're not careful, we will not let Christian love win the day. We'll let judgment and criticism and strife begin to win the day, which is not the heart of Romans 14 or 15. Now I want you to notice something in the text that is really compelling. In the middle of all this struggle... Notice the warmth in the text that is really amazing. Notice, rather than despising and criticizing, welcoming is to happen. Rather than a cold shoulder, there's to be warmth of embrace, consideration, and care for others. Paul is telling us that we're to welcome every Christian into our hearts and our lives. Why? Because Christ is welcoming. See, it would would do us well when on many different occasions to ask, what is Jesus's attitude toward the person I'm in disagreement with right now? And we see evidence in the text that both the weak and the strong are children of God. Meaning, since both weak and strong are children of God, they're both welcomed by Christ. They are Christ's people. Therefore, we should welcome them as well. Notice verse 3. He clearly says this. God has welcomed him. Notice verse 4 shows us that, that people, Christian people, are servants of God. They're not our servants. Paul's point in this verse is that the weak or the strong both belong to God. And who are we as mere humans to tell them, God's servants, how they're to live their life? Why, why would a Christian brother or sister under the authority of God take orders from you or me on areas where God's word is not clear? It'd be like a, an employee at Roseburg Lumber Company taking orders from a manager at a Rinko. That does not match. Why would you expect any brother or sister to obey your words when your words are not as crystal clear as God's words are? Verses 6 or 8 tells us that Whether a person is weak or strong, they're this way 
in honor of the Lord and for the Lord, meaning these are Christian people. And finally, verse 10 speaks to them very clearly as brothers, showing that they indeed are children of God and they should be welcomed into our heart and into our life. Now you can hear the refrain in Romans 14, especially when you get to Romans 15, that God has welcomed the weak and the strong and there should be a warmth a welcoming between children of God that is motivated by God's perfect acceptance of them. So when you look at Christian brothers and sisters that you disagree with, you had better be seeing those for whom Christ died. That will radically change how you view these disagreements. Now here's what Paul's doing. This is, this is amazing. When you begin to pull this out and you see it, it it just, it, it is amazing. Paul is taking the mundane things of life. Eating meat, drinking wine, entertainment choices, education choices, political choices, um, um, all the different things we talked about earlier. And he's bringing in the depth and the richness of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And he's putting that over the top of how we deal, how we deal with these things. In other words, He is showing us how these things are impacted by the power of the gospel of Christ. See, the discussion of liberties and lifestyles can be very frustrating. But listen, it's normal life. It's everyday life. Stuff that we're going through all the time. And the power of Jesus' death is to impact all of it. Every last conversation of it. We need Jesus to help us handle these things with this type of warmth here, right? I mean, we are to welcome one another, not despise or condemn one another. Now, when you understand that's the heart of the text, then you can start looking then at practical ways not to divide the church. See, if we were just to come up with the ways practical ways not to divide the church without the gospel power. I'm just giving you a few list of moral examples. Hopefully you'll go do them. But, but if you put this underneath the banner of the gospel, what do you have? You have this. Christ has saved you for this purpose and will empower you for this purpose. And there's three things that you're going to notice in the text to help us. Practical ways to handle liberties in the text. Really, ways not to divide the church. And notice the first one found in verse 1. It's pretty easy to pick out. Work hard at not arguing over non-essentials. He uses the word opinions. Because listen, if you ever want to divide a church, make non-essentials seem like they're essential. There are things in the Bible that are crystal clear that are we call them here closed-handed. Essentials. Jesus' life and death on our behalf, clear. In times, not so clear. Open-handed. Being addicted to anything, clear. Star Wars versus Star Trek, not clear. Sorry, Wes. The, the Bible being inspired by God, clear. Veggie Tales for your kids or if Rocky Four is a Christmas movie, not clear. But it is a Christmas movie. Okay, just make sure. Thus saith Dave, okay? Okay, but notice what Paul does. And you get the point, right? I mean, we can get laugh and giggle, but things get really serious. Notice how Paul put this. Welcome others, but not to quarrel with them. 
Evidently, there were some in that culture, in that church, like in our own culture and sometimes in our own church, that would welcome others for a debate. Ooh, I can't wait. Paul's saying, uh-uh. That's not the attitude here. Don't go picking fights over non-essentials. Rather, welcome others as God's people because God has welcomed them. Now, I, I say this to my sons often when they come back frustrated with something happening at school or around them. I ask them this question. I ask it myself a lot. Is this a hill that you're prepared to die on? I would say 70, 80% of the time, it is not the hill to die on. We love to pick hills to die on. Essential hills are the ones we die on. Non-essential hills are the ones we don't. St. Augustine, a quote attributed to him, which some historians may say otherwise, here's the quote, it's very famous. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. There will be times when non-essentials, areas where God's Word is not clear, are talked about, and you may need to just say something like this, you know what, God's Word's not clear on it, and neither am I. Now here's an opinion, here's an idea, here's a thought, but where we've gone wrong in the church often is, we've spoken clearly where God's Word is not clear, we've spoken explicitly where God's Word is not explicit, and we've got ourselves in trouble. Where God's Word speaks, we speak. Where it's silent, we're silent. So first, work hard at this. Don't argue over non-essentials. Make the main thing, the main thing, the second thing that I want you to notice in the text, we could pick out a variety of verses on this one, but I'll pick out two, is know your place. You're not the final authority. Notice verses 3 and 12. It's clear that Paul is telling us to not condemn or pass judgment on others and to not despise those who think differently than us. And it's clear that, that each of us will one day give an account to God and God will determine in that day, or even prior to that day, if our activity or our ideas were appropriate to God. God is the ultimate final authority on matters like this, not you or I in our brothers' or sisters' lives. So we've got, we got to know our place in this. Knowing our place is understanding we're not the judge. Judging is the opposite of welcoming. Sometimes we judge others because we're sinfully suspicious of them, right? I mean, I, I can't wait for heaven. And here's one reason why. When I can finally have a cup of coffee with somebody and there will be no sinful suspicion in their mind or selfish ambition or weirdness on my mind. Right? I mean, you know, the, you know what I'm talking about. You've gone to a meeting or prepared for a meeting and you know in your mind, I know what this is about. And so you stood in front of the mirror shaving or brushing your teeth and you're having the debate in the mirror and telling that mirror what's going to happen and you get to the meeting and it was nothing like the debate in the mirror. Anybody but me ever do that? Okay, good. Nobody. Great. Awesome. Appreciate that. I'm all alone. I'm the weird guy talking to myself in the mirror. If you see me driving down the road, I'm that guy. Okay. It's totally okay. All right. I know I've had people say to me, uh, hey, you asked me for a meeting today. What's this about? As if they're being called into the principal's office. And they need to know ahead of time, what is it that's on your mind here? 
we get these suspicions in our mind. So here's how it goes in this area. Those who abstain immediately assume that those who don't abstain are going to abuse their freedoms. Or those who don't abstain assume that those who do abstain are automatically legalists. They're adding something to the gospel. Both judgments can be sinfully motivated, and in most cases, they're just not true. And sometimes we do this because we actually think our our criticism, we might make it biblical and Christian and call it our confrontation, or our sinful judgment, again, to make it sound Christian and biblical, we'll call it our discernment, will be a more powerful motivator in that person's life than the work of the Holy Spirit. But since Christians belong to God, listen clearly, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts His people of their sin, who renews their hearts and their minds, and who helps them see what's appropriate or not appropriate. doesn't mean that we don't talk about it. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. But it means this. When we do talk about it and there's disagreement, guess what you can do? You can leave that discussion in the hands of God. You know why? Because they're God's people. And God will take that discussion and God will utilize that for whatever God wants to do with that. Because why? They're His people. They're not your people. Because we know Christ welcomes us and others, we can trust in God's work in their lives and we can know our place. Our place is to welcome them, not to condemn or judge them. Now the third practical suggestion is found in verse 5. We should encourage each other to be fully convinced about our convictions and our liberties. There's evidence here in this text and in other places of the Bible that convictions and liberties should be talked about, but not quarreled about, not divided over. And we should be fully convinced about them. This means that our liberties or our non-liberties need to be things we have actually thought through, that we've actually researched, that you've actually done the homework on why or why not you are doing particular things. See, we can normally do things because that's the way we did them growing up. Or we had a bad experience somewhere and we don't want to do it a certain way again. Or we've seen others do it a certain way. Or it's the cool thing to do. Or even for others, it's a not cool thing to do, so therefore we do it because it's a cool thing to do. Or we don't do it because it's not cool. I mean, we get it all mixed up. And there's very little thought or research or convincing about all this kind of stuff. And liberties and convictions are not mindless behaviors. They're not. And I'll be honest with you. This is one of the reasons why many of our young people leave the church in the droves because we refuse to dialogue about these kind of things and just say, because I said so. And young people in the church are leaving it to say, I don't want to just because I said so. I want to have a robust dialogue about something that's not clear in God's word and you're not willing to help me. They must be thought through. Examples. If you're an alcohol drinker, why or why not? If you're a teetotaler, why or why not? What drives your conviction or your convincing? If you're planning on getting the COVID-19 vaccine, why? 
If not, why? What is behind your research? If, if you believe a certain dress code is appropriate, why or why not? And fathers, just let me give you a thought here. You should be having modesty discussions with your children from the time they're born. Bringing this discussion into the home so that children know and young teenage girls know, I'm going to my father to talk about modesty, not to my boyfriend. What allows you or disallows you to listen to certain types of music, certain radio things, or watch certain things, or not watch certain things? You should be convinced about these issues. So so questions like, does God's Word forbid it? What are the principles from God's Word that would govern this activity or this not doing this particular thing? Does this glorify God? Does it benefit other people? Are all questions that should, if you will, develop a more informed conscience. Here's the point. God wants you to have an informed conscience. Why do we know that? Because He said, let everyone be convinced in his own mind. Telling me, God is expecting each of us, brothers and sisters, to be convinced of why we do or don't do certain things. But here's something else that happened that helps other brothers and sisters in Christ, especially ones who disagree with you. On matters that are non-essential, do you know what a privilege and a joy it is to talk with others who don't agree with you? What a cool thing. You never have to get angry or impatient or upset. This happened to me this week. After last week's sermon, a couple of brothers called and said, hey, I got some questions about last week's sermon. Can we walk it through? They, they don't land where I land on certain convictions. And we talked about those issues. I felt privileged that these guys would come to me and talk with me. It helped me see where maybe there were some things to be clarified, where there's some lingo that could be different. But what I did was ask one guy in particular, tell me why you don't do this thing. I just want to hear from you. I want to learn. Going in as a brother and sister in Christ is not going in as a critic. It's going in as someone to learn and understand and hear and process. Why? For your own convincing, but also for theirs. It's a joy to be able to have these dialogues. Liberties and things like them are disputable, debatable issues. You've got to understand that. They're disputable and they're debatable. These are areas that are not explicit commands from the Bible, and they're not clear in the Bible. So we should be willing to hear other people's ideas on them and understand them very clearly where they're coming from. Doesn't mean we agree with them, but we understand them. Because we're not, we're not afraid to be challenged, because why? We're working to be convinced. Douglas Wilson put it like this, other Christians should let you do what you want to do unless the Bible forbids it. But you should use your liberty differently. You should be asking what the reasons are for doing it and not what the reasons are for prohibiting it. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to discuss any issue like this, no matter, and, and, no, and knowing no matter the outcome, that you could walk away from that discussion with a greater friendship and a greater appreciation for the person you had the discussion with? Imagine how many friendships would not just be saved, but strengthened. Imagine how many church splits would be thwarted. Imagine how many non-Christians 
would watch Christians do this type of work and see the gospel on display so powerfully. Because engaging in this type of discussion, this is Christian love at work in the midst of Christian liberty. Now listen, I can be honest with you. In our church in 2020, by and large, this has been the case. We have had a, we have had robust dialogue. There's been many issues in the past year, we all know them, I don't have to name them, that are disputable. And, and listen, and as the leader here, very hard to work through. I can tell you with our elders, very hard to work through. Lots of discussion, lots of theological digging, lots of historical referencing to find out what did the church in the past do in these type of moments? How did they respond? What does God's word say on these issues? How do we need to lead? But here's what we noticed. Because of God's work in this church and Christ's example to us, our church for the most part worked hard through this. Our people leaned in with unity, with joy, with peace, trust in God, love for one another. That doesn't mean, listen, people cha- people challenge one another. We talked about hard issues with one another. We discussed honestly with one another. We wrestled through hard ideas with one another. And when needed, we confessed our sin to one another and we forgave each other. But there is a word of caution about this that I want to drop into your lap. Just because we did it well in 2020 doesn't mean we'll do it well in 2021. We are always one Sunday away from a church split. So if you are not currently staying current with other brothers and sisters, maybe you've allowed a fence to rise up or you've allowed a frustration of something that they're doing or that something they've actually sinned against you and you've not gone to them. Can we just do, can we just do the simple yet profound things in Matthew five, where if you know your brother has an ought against you, you go to them or in Matthew 18, when you know your brother has sinned against you, you go to him. Can we just do those simple things well? Because here's been the history of our church. We've done it well, by God's grace. Let's not let any, if you sniff it, if you, if you wonder about it, if you walk through the church hallway and a brother or sister ignores you and, and looks at you funny, don't ignore the feeling you get there and wonder, I wonder if I should ask them if we're okay together. People know me well enough to know that I, I will go to people just to say, Probably nothing going on. I just want to make sure we're okay. Are there any issues between us? And they go, no, why do you ask that? I don't know. I was at church the other day and you just kind of walked right by me. Very, uh, not like you. So I just want to make sure we're clear. And they go, dude, we're totally fine. Cool. No big deal. Moving on. But if you smell that, it's a word of caution. We've got to be sensitive people to these kind of things. Division slides in easily. Another word of caution. Encouraging one another to be fully convinced does not mean we're each other's judges. No, we're we're learning with each other. We're helping each other grow to be more and more and more like Jesus. It means we are unoffendable. You know what that means? It means that you don't easily get mad or bothered when somebody brings a disagreeing perspective to you about non-essentials. Too often we have these frank honest discussions, somebody gets mad. The surest way to shut down honest, forthright discussion is through anger, pride, and judgment. 
And those attitudes are the exact opposite of Romans 14. So listen, here they are. Work hard over, over not arguing about non-essentials. Know your place. You're not the final authority. And encourage others to be fully convinced. Practical ways. Simple ways not to divide the church. Remember, bathe that in the gospel. Now let's look at the last point of the day, which is found in verses 6 through 9, which is do everything for the Lord. Notice the phrases that are in this text. I've highlighted them on the screen because I think they're fascinating. Paul mentions honors the Lord, gives thanks to the Lord, and lives to the Lord in these verses. In other words, Paul's saying, in everything we do in life or in death, as people affected by Jesus's life, death, and resurrection is to be done for the Lord. In other words, if honoring the Lord is our desire, then exercising our liberties or showing how disciplined we are is a secondary endeavor. The primary endeavor is, I want to honor the Lord in whatever I do. And if living for the Lord is our desire, then living for others to serve them will be the fruit that will be produced. So as we've seen throughout 1 Corinthians 8-10, through all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial to other people. And this would mean if we're not serving other people with our liberties, we're dishonoring the Lord in our liberties. Let me give an example of this. Several years ago, Jill and I had some friends come out for dinner. Um, and, and after dinner, we talked about things we could do, play a game or whatever. And they said, hey, let's watch a movie. I said, hey, great. We love watching movies. Uh, we got quite the, a little bit of movie library. Come on in and uh, let's pick a movie. And they said, well, we go into our library. And they said, okay, well, one thing, we, we had this kind of odd thing about movies. I said, great. Tell me what it is. They said, we, we don't want to watch a movie that has more than five cuss words in it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how many rated G movies I have. So I'm looking over lists. I, I, everything we had was like cartoons for our kids, you know, kind of thing. Uh, probably not Veggie Tales, probably not Bob the Builder, probably not Spirit, probably, not, you know, I mean, we're going through all these things, right? Finally, I said, uh, hey, what about this movie here? And they said, oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. So, so we plugged the thing in and you, you know the moment, right? I mean, 15 minutes into this thing. And I, and I, you know, it's like driving a new car. You suddenly see all the new cars. When they say no cut, no more than five cuss words, you're like, you're picking out things that aren't even cuss words. I mean, like the word and suddenly feels like a cuss word. Like, oh my, you know, so I, so all of a sudden 15 minutes in and I'm realizing, wow, there's a lot of like innuendos and there's some language and, you know, so I, 15 minutes in. And if you know me well enough, my kids will tell you this happens regularly. I just, I, I push the pause button. And it's awkward. I mean, tensions in the room. You know, I can just feel, I almost feel her like going, put it like, you know, that kind of, and she's not, she's totally cool about it. And I look over and I'm just like, uh, Hey, I, I'm going to make a situation more awkward by saying, are you okay with this? I just, I just like, like what? I mean, am I, are we ruining your, I mean, help me, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. Cause I am struggling with the tension in the room. Right. My wife is like, could you be any more weird here, right? So, <clears throat> and the dude's like, oh, no way, man. I'm, I'm really sorry. Were you feeling it? I said, no, I, well, I counted. And I was like, mm. and I like named off all the words, right? And he just finally says, hey, man, hey, look, here, here's the reason we have this conviction. But also, we've already seen this movie. We love it. <laughs> I said, could you not have just said that? I mean, Cause I'm over here. I, I want to serve you, man. I love you, dude. I don't want to do something weird and you got to go, that Dave York, you just completely ruined my life. You know, I don't want that. And so I said to him, well, 
what do you, what do you want to do? I mean, we're good. I mean, I'll, I'll put in Bambi. I mean, we'll, we'll do, I mean, well, I'm good with whatever, man. And he just goes, no, man, we're really good with this. And he explained more of his conviction. But it, something happened in that dialogue that was so helpful. I began to realize how insensitive I was to what I was watching. And after we're done watching the movie, I, we just stopped. We had a really nice time after we're talking about it. How they arrived, where they got to, what the convictions they had, why certain movies were off limits, which, which ones weren't. We had this great discussion about it. But what I want you to notice is this. Our concern, and I'm being honest with you, I know these people, dear, dear brothers and sisters, was for them. It, it was nothing to do with my entertainment choice. I'd picked Rocky IV, you know, I mean, so I picked, you know, I'd have picked something else. They picked that. And I said, great. And I wanted to serve them. And when it was time to shut it off, if we need to, I was willing to cut it. I mean, I was willing to break the CD right in front. I mean, I didn't care. I wanted them to know you matter more to me than this stupid movie. That, that is to be the attitude in this, right? You see what I'm talking about? It's to be this, this thing that just says, I, I value what God is doing in you more than I value my own choices. Because I want you to be built up. I want you to be growing in grace. I want you to be edified when we get together. Honoring the Lord means we honor what God is doing in other people's lives. And serving others is way more important than our liberties. Way more important. Now notice the trajectory that Paul's talking about. It's toward the Lord. It's, it's Godward. God is our King. He's welcomed us. What He says goes. And we want Him to be glorified and His people to be served. So why, why are we doing or not doing what we're doing? What is the desire behind your line of work? Why do you play sports? What's your motivation behind your art? Why do you listen to music or not listen to me? Why do you watch certain things? Are they honoring the Lord? Is your trajectory of life for the Lord, or is it just another way to flaunt your freedoms? It's just another way to say, I'm a Christian. Look how free I am. We can do whatever. Just trying to be relative to the world, or is it really for the glory of God and the good of others, especially your Christian friends? Because listen, if you're a Christian, you don't own yourself. You belong to God. God is the one who governs your life. Therefore, everything you do belongs to God and is to be lived for God. Now, one thing I know about this church, by God's grace, I know you, I know you really well. You love Jesus and you love this church. And the best way for us to make sure that continues is to not divide our church over non-essentials. To stay current. To make sure that our, our attitude is for the Lord, toward God. Let's pray. <clears throat> now as we pray, I want to pray for two things. I want you to evaluate these in your own heart before God. The first one would be, if you know... <clears throat> that you have not stayed current with a brother or sister, whether they have sinned against you or you've sinned against them or you've had an offense that you've allowed to kind of grow that you know you need to deal with. And I want to ask you before the Lord today, 
<clears throat> to confess that and ask God to help you to deal with that before him and with this brother or sister. The second thing I would challenge you with is to be to be convinced of why you do or why you don't do before the Lord. And if there's fear of inviting other brothers and sisters in Christ to talk with you and dialogue through this, I just encourage you to just wrestle that out. So Father, we we come as a church before you that for the most part, you have been very kind in this sense that we don't have major fights going on. It, it is an evidence of your grace. Our sin, for the most part, has not interjected itself. But Lord, one thing that we know is that a church where you are, you are affecting and growing and being kind to is always a target. It's a target of our own sin. It's a target of the adversary the devil that would love to do nothing more than to destroy what you are doing. Help us to posture ourselves in a way that says we're we're not going to allow non-essentials to divide us. We are going to love one another and embrace these conversations and we're going to serve each other. And before the Lord, by God's power, we want to be a demonstration of the unique unity that is found in the Godhead. So, Father, help us. We are yours. And so would you lead these conversations and would you continue to let them happen? And let there continue to be brotherly and sisterly love for our Father and for one another. For the sake of your glory and the advancement of your gospel and the good of all people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.